Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the reign of Christ that is expansive and will be fully realized here. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you would begin with us, that you would revive us and awaken us uh, to your purposes, to your will. And so, Father, I now pray that whatever, whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth, earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak to us? Would you come now, Holy Spirit, bring your word to life in our minds and in our hearts? Father in heaven, would you speak? We pray, have mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am an okay homeowner, uh, but a terrible lawn owner. I'm an okay homeowner, but I'm a terrible lawn owner. Um, I, I really want to sign up for one of those like patio homes where you get like, you get like a cubic foot of grass and it's like, you don't let this die. Uh, but in terms of like a whole yard, so the illusion, the illustration I'm about to use, it's really, it's really something that Sage should use. So Sage is our resident lawn doctor. He, he literally, he's always like, anyways, I can't even tell you. I don't even understand it. Obviously, you go look at my yard and I don't understand it. Um, I feel like if I just put water on it, everything should be fine. Uh, and it doesn't work like that in my yard. We actually had the backyard. Uh, it, was, it was graciously, it was given to us. It was, the, the backyard was sodded. Uh, and there was irrigation put in. But somewhere along the line, the, along the way, the, the irrigation didn't work. And so I'm trying to replace irrigation heads and I'm trying to replace dealing uh, like pipes and whatever else like things are things are just a mess. And eventually pretty much 80 percent of my grass in my backyard is gone. And now all that's left, maybe 80, 75, which would be generous. Um, there is uh, there's like clover and uh, and other and dandelions and then bare patches of dirt, which the dog loves, by the way, he just loves uh which a labradoodle, we have a labradoodle who is a living dirt absorption machine. And he just, he brings it, takes it into himself and he deposits it in our house. Um, so anyways, okay. Uh, but, but finally we, we got, we got sort of a stopgap measure where uh, I had somebody come in and, and help me put in an irrigation line to, to, and all it is is to one head in the middle of the backyard. So it just shoots all the way around. Uh, it gets most of the grass. It gets the playground. It gets our patio. It's just everywhere. Uh, and so now the grass that is there is surviving. Uh, and, the, and then the weeds really love it. So they, everything grows together. Uh, and this is not a pair of, uh, sermon about the, the weeds and the weeds and the weeds and the wheat and the tares. It's not that parable, but, um, I, on our wish missions weekend, I wanted to articulate to you a little bit of, uh, and this isn't a, a fully formed, that'll come probably later this, later this year. Uh, but what do, I, what do I see? How do we, how do we as God's people in Elgin, South Carolina, what is God calling us to be and what is God calling us to do? So there's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a mission for us 
Uh, I was going to bring somebody in like last year, but I've really felt driven that that, as I said, I said last week, we've we've spent some time and resources and prayer capital. And we continue to do that, investing in uh, these strategic relationships with missionaries and with church planting. And, and I want us to continue to be able to pour resources into those and maybe by God's grace, develop others, develop uh, relationships with other church planters and maybe other church planters in, in nearby here. Um, or, uh, and maybe some of our particular, you know, in Atlanta or in Baltimore, or Detroit or something that those are things that are on my radar, but what came is, is coming heavy upon me is us who, who ought we to be, what ought we to be doing and how do we as a church position ourselves? How do we posture ourselves for the work that God has for us to do? How do we posture ourselves for the work that God has for us to do? So what, what is the work that God has for us to do? What is the work of God? When we say, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God doing when he brings his kingdom to bear? Well, that's a, that's a eight, 18,000 sermons in and of itself, right? Go Google kingdom of God sermons and you'll spend the rest of your life on YouTube, which I would not recommend. Uh, you have things to do, which we're going to talk about. Uh, but, but consider Habakkuk 2.14, right? The, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That seems like a worthy thing to be chasing. But it's also a promise. The earth will be, the earth will be filled. So what does that mean? Well, at, at the very culmination of the age, at the end of the world, every knee will bow. Knees in heaven and on earth and under the earth saying, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody's going to acknowledge Jesus come that day. But in the meantime, we have been given a message. There has been a and an altering of the landscape of the world with the entrance of Jesus into it. The gospel message centers upon the person of Jesus. Jesus comes and collects a body of disciples and then he unleashes a body of disciples into this world. Last night in my attempted little message that's been eating at me so bad y'all i've been praying about it it's not this was children um it was wonderful uh but that and i'll say it to you guys because some many of you weren't there but uh that sometimes when we identify ourselves uh you know if you were to say hey what are you you might say i'm a christian and that's not wrong um but in the new testament the word christian is used just a hand not even a handful of times like two Three, maybe, in the New Testament. Whereas the word disciple is used hundreds of times. And the danger is, is that when I identify, I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not saying you shouldn't identify yourself as a Christian. You only should describe yourself as a disciple and be some, I'm not saying that. But how we, how we think about ourselves is going to impact what we do. Your internal narrative about your identity in Christ is going to shape what you do. So if you say, I am a Christian, that sounds very passive. I just, uh, this is an identity that I have, and that is true. But when you say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, that is an active thing. 
I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm walking in the way of Christ. I'm seeking to follow and obey Jesus. That, that is a, an active. You see the difference in perception, at least in our internal dialogue. So that if we are to be pursuing substantial, expansive, everyone being exposed to the knowledge of Jesus, the earth will be covered the knowledge, be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That means everybody should at least, so much as we're able, they should hear of Jesus. I don't want to come to the end of the age and have people that were within my sphere, they were within my area, come to that day and say, I had no idea. I, I, I don't want that, and we will be held accountable for that. It's one thing to say there will be people that we have not yet been able to get to. We're not able to, the, the Bible's not in their language yet. They're really in difficult places geographically or culturally or dangerous. That doesn't mean Christians shouldn't be going. But it's another thing for people that are live, born, live, die in Elgin, South Carolina under the shadow of 15 steeples. Hypothetically, not all of our churches have steeples, but under the shadow of 15 churches, arrive at the day of Jesus and say, I, I never heard that before. Dear ones, that cannot happen. And it will not happen by God's grace. It cannot happen and it will not happen by God's grace. See, the difference with my yard... So when the sprinkler head breaks, you know what happens when a sprinkler head breaks usually? It just sort of shoots right there or just soaks this area. So you end up, and if you, and if you all want to drive by and see an example of this, just drive by and I'll show you. Um, I'll be happy to, because uh, I know all of you have perfect yards and it's just the preacher. Uh, but but that this, we end up with this one lush, nice spot of the yard. And it's just the, the grass is thick. And you know it when you're riding your lawnmower. I don't, when you're pushing your lawnmower over it, you know, you're, you're just putting along and all of a sudden you hit that thick grass and you like slow down. You got you hit the brakes all of a sudden. You guys know, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. Okay. But the grass grows real thick there because they have a great water source. Every day there's water just bubbling out. But, you know, six, eight, ten inches away, the grass is struggling. If we're to be after expansive knowledge of the glory of the Lord and Jesus Christ, then we have to be more than a bubbling end of a fountainhead. We must be a sprinkler. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad I asked. So I can tell you what I mean by that. In the book of Acts, you see this tremendous explosion of the early church. You see, all that Jesus began to do and teach at the beginning of the book uh, is continued through the church. You have the empowering of the church with the Spirit at Pentecost. And you see this radical gifting and transformation happen where all of a sudden, by their ministry, through the preaching of the Word, through their living together, people are being drawn into the church every day. They're being drawn to faith every day. And there's this interesting marker. It's, a, it's maybe like a sub-theme. It's not the headliner, but there's a sub-theme that's throughout the book of Acts. 
that the, the disciples, the early Christians, devoted themselves to a model of ministry that was simultaneously centralized and decentralized. They devoted themselves to a model of ministry, if I can use that kind of language with you, to a way of doing things. Or maybe if we were going to use a modern business language, they devoted themselves to a, to a culture, to a church culture that was both centralized and decentralized. Now, if you've been around here long enough, you've heard me say these kind of things before, okay? I, I have nothing new. Just here's the Bible. It's what I see. It's what we're going to try to do. Um, but maybe with a little bit more organization. So that they devote themselves, and this is what we see in Acts 5.42. Acts 5, they, the, the early apostles, they've been imprisoned for preaching in Jesus' name. They've been let out. And they rejoice in verse 41 that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. And in verse 42, they kept on. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see the, the two contexts? They're in the temple and then they're in various homes. They're, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus in the temple and in various homes. You see centralized and decentralized. So, so when you think about the church, we think about Blaney Baptist Church, we have we have three buildings plus a daycare. We're very centralized. You understand language about centralized? Like located in one place. Here we are. And so our typical thing is that we have, we have Sunday morning. Um, we have Wednesday night. We've had groups that meet here. We've had Sunday night services at times. That It, it all kind of gravitates here. And we're, we're budgeted for it and we're built for it. And because we're built for it, we have to budget for it. Right, we have the, this isn't a gripe, this is just a statement. Like, we've, we've got a gigantic choice to make about the air, AC unit over here in the old building. Like, a lot of money. It's gonna, it needs a new unit because the unit was made by cavemen when they invented the, the wheel. And then we have to do the... Maybe not that bad. Uh, and then we have to, we're supposed to read... They're recommending that we redo the ductwork over there. And I don't remember the quote, and I'm sure it's more now, thanks to COVID and everything, but it was a lot of money. And that's a lot of resources to be pouring into saying, who, what is our job? What is our job? What is our A number one thing? Is it the perpetuation of buildings in a place for people to gather? The buildings in the place are meant to facilitate the work, right? Praise God. Praise God, right? Praise God that we have the octagon. I love this place. I think it's an octagon. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Octagon. It's not a hexagon, heptagon, decagon. I did well in geometry. Algebra, not so much. Okay. But praise God that we have this that pe- so that we, because this, is, this gives us a freedom and ability to do ministry. So I'm not against a centralized location. But if we only believe that our ministry occurs here, then it's going to perpetuate the understanding in yourself that you're just a Christian and that you do this church stuff. Do you understand how the two are interrelated? That if we only perceive of our work as something that happens here, even if all we're doing, we are the bubbling, broken, 
sprinkler head in my yard that will soak an area and soak a people, but we're not going to see the yard transformed. And if you're, if you're kind of missing the connection I'm trying to make, is that if we're to be about seeing every man, woman, and child hear the name of Jesus, then we have to do things that are decentralized. And, we, and that means we, we need to do life decentralized, but we need to do some discipleship decentralized. An image I've been trying to calculate in my head, and I might not, I'm going to lay it before you, and maybe one day it'll make sense to you. Uh, COVID really taxed churches. Um, thankfully, I mean, we were too, but not, not like some other churches. But I want you to imagine, I would ask you to close your eyes, but you might fall asleep, so don't do that. <laughs> I want you to imagine uh, the spokes of a wheel or the spokes on a bicycle wheel, right? So you have a central hub and you have spokes going out and then you have a unified tire, right? It's one piece. Rather than the unified tire, I want you to imagine aligned tire bubbles or something. But they're individual units, but they all make up a tire shape around spokes. You understand what I'm saying? So they're, they're, so they're connected, but they're connected. They could be connected to each other, but they're also connected to the hub. But part of my goal and what, what I'm talking about, what I'm praying about, is that we would be a resilient, durable sort of congregation so that if by pandemic or by persecution, the hub and the spokes are gone. So by pandemic or by persecution, the church central place and all of our connectivity outward is somehow to cease that all of those individual groups will not die, but they they would become their own church. And this is a paradigm shift, y'all. So I'm talking about a level of small group life that is very strong. Life group, community group, discipleship group. And we've tried it a few ways and we're going to continue to do it because I really, really believe in it. In order to posture ourselves for what the 21st century may or may not hold while simultaneously, above all, pursuing the mission that Jesus has for us. I almost want to be like, are there any questions? But this is a sermon. This is not a town hall. But I want you to have that image. Centralized hub, spokes going out, connectivity out to various groups. But if the spokes were gone, the groups could stand. There's enough, enough health, leadership, vitality in those connected groups that they could stand on their own. Continue to meet, continue to worship, continue to reach out. Everybody checking? And this is what we see developing in the book of Acts. You see a, de- a centralized and a decentralized ministry. We see it in Acts chapter 5 earlier on and just a quick, give, quick rundown. Acts 2.46. Everybody loves 2 uh, verse, verses 42 through 47. And I do too, but I don't have time for all that. So verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. So they're fellowshipping around the table in homes. I'm not saying it has to be a home. It could be McDonald's on Clemson Road. It could be there's a new Starbucks shh, on Spears Creek. I've hung out there a couple of times. It's, anyway, um, but the, again, you see the centralized, decentralized. I'm not going to belabor my point, but perhaps 
you're thinking, well, that was just in the Jewish context, right? They're in the temple. You have a centralized place. And then they were in various homes. Well, check out. This is just one of the places where you see it bridging over culture. That this isn't just a cultural model, but that this is a model that the apostles develop and utilize. Uh, In Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. The Ephesian elders, right, he had just spent in uh, chapter, what, 18, 19. He's been in, uh, he's been in Ephesus in chapter 19, uh, and he begins in the synagogue, and then he's, they, they get mad. Anyways, there's a whole thing. And he, gets, he leaves, and he goes to the hall of Tyrannus in chapter 19, verse 9. So Paul was meeting where the Jewish people were meeting. Then they got resistant to the gospel of Jesus. So he moves to a secular space, the hall of Tyrannus which just means the hall of the tyrant, you know, anyways. Uh, but his ministry in Ephesus while he's there for so long is not only gathering together and leading these, these lectures, preaching in this secular space. In verse 20 of chapter 20, he says this to the Ephesian elders, right? So he was in Ephesus. This is how he operated. And he says this to them. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. So that Paul's ministry is simultaneously on the mission field of Ephesus. He's simultaneously, we get together as a big group and then we also spread out as little little groups from house to house. And you could say this from family to family, but the way the Oikos family worked, right? Oikos is the Greek word for household. Uh, it included more than simply mom, dad, and two, 2.4 children like it does in America, right? It was an expansive unit of people that were being engaged with the gospel and being equipped to lead their families and then to go do other things as well. That Paul was entrusting these things to faithful men so that from them they could invest them in other people and they could invest them in other people. And so that by God's grace, consider with me, if we're, if we're just thinking about, and I don't have a dry, dry erase board, which is for the best. If you know me on Wednesday nights, it's like it ends up like beautiful mind. But um, anybody know the reference? But it's like you don't know what's going I don't know what's going on after a while. Um, but consider the, the hub of the church spokes out to individual connected units. But then consider if God gave reproduction, not from the hub, say another hub, but he gave reproduction on the unit of the small. You understand what I'm saying? So rather than going from one to two, I know we're into math now. So say you had one and you had eight. And what happened? Now I could flub my math right now too. So, um, but, but we have one with eight units. Say if reproduction happened there. 16. Say reproduction happens there. You're, we're getting into exponential Multiple and exponential, okay? And you're thinking, there's no way. Well, dog it, if it happened, and, like if we see it, if God was able to do it, why can't he do that? So, what does all this mean? I was, we're, I'm in a group uh, of guys that are in our church that are wrestling through a call to ministry. Or not wrestling. Some of them are like, I'm called to ministry. And some of them are wrestling. Anyways, and we're walking through this uh, systematic theology. We're not walking through it. We're picking chapters and talking about it together. It's, not, it's, it's a little nerdy. It's not super nerdy. Uh, it's moderately nerdy. 
And, but I'll, anyways, there was this alignment where I went to this pastor's retreat a couple weeks ago. And the guy who was talking, he mentioned a quote from that book. And so I was like, oh, that's really enlightening for me. It really, it really brought a lot of clarity for how I understand things. And so I went and read this, chap, this part of the book that we're looking through. Uh, and he talks about that the church is, is to be doing three things. We're, we're to be engaged in three levels or three types of things. Uh, we're made to worship. Right? We, need to be, we need to be engaging with God. We're made for relationships with other Christians because we're the body of Christ. There's no such thing as a, as a you. It's just you and your Bible and Jesus and that's all you need. Then you haven't met the Jesus of the Bible fully because God always calls us into community. So you need community. But then also he calls us into evangelism, mercy, and you could just say mission. So we need to be engaged with God. Engage with each other and engage with God's mission. And that was so clarifying for me. Because it's like, you know, any, you could go look at my desk. It's just a jumbled mess of like, what am I doing this week? What, what's, and, then, and then the last few weeks, it's like, good Lord, I have no idea. Like literally, good Lord, I have no idea what's coming down the pipe. But having that clarity of this is, who we, this is how we need to go about things. So what do I see? I see a church that delights in God that develops one another and then we are deployed into the mission that Jesus has for us. That we delight in God personally. So I see a church full of Christians who are engaging God daily in his word, in prayer and in their homes. And that we gather together on Sunday mornings and worship and we gather together when the church meets as a body and we delight in God. We worship him, we praise him, we, we recognize who he is. And then we develop one another. We get into real relationships in, in real groups so that we can grow up with one another. I have scriptures for all of these and I know uh, we're kind of squeezed. So, uh, but consider Colossians 1.28 when Paul's talking to the church at Colossae. He says, uh, we proclaim him, that is Christ Warning, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully within me, that we may present everyone mature, that all of us have growth to do and we grow together. What kind of horror movie would it be if you walked in, you saw there's an arm growing over there, but the torso's growing over here, the foot's growing over here, right? That's, that's grotesque. And yet this is how Christians expect to grow. We grow as a body because Jesus made us his body. We have to grow in connectivity with one another. We worship alongside one another. We need to be in the word with t- together. We need to be praying and sharing our hearts together in reality. And, so, and that's, that's, this isn't the context to do it. This is too many people. It's too spread out. Um, but we need to be in, in groups of people where we can grow up. That we can develop maturity even as we continue to worship. So we're delighting, we're developing, and then we deploy. And when I first laid this out, I think somebody said, that sounds too militaristic. And I said, that's exactly what I'm going for. Um, oh, church, arise. What's that Christian soldier song? Onward, Christian soldier. That, 
that there has to be this, if Jesus has won, and this is Jesus' world, and then everyone needs to hear about the king's victory. It's good news for everyone who comes back to the king. They have to hear it. Then we're sent out. If you want that language, it's better. But that, that we live sent. So that rather than being this bubbling sprinkler head, We become the sprinkler that we're sending out drops of living water on our lips and in our lives into this world. But it's even more profound than that. the, The illustration of the sprinkler breaks down. Because what does Jesus say in John chapter 7? You guys know where I'm going. What does he say in John chapter 7? On the last day, the most important day of the festival, verse 37... Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The invitation for spiritual satisfaction, spiritual life, here it is from Jesus. And the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within them. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So that you are given the Spirit. And so it's almost as though, as the sprinkler goes out, the water droplets hit the earth, a well is plunged into the earth, and water flows from there. So you're not just getting things wet, but you're planting sprinkler heads. And maybe you think that's a stupid illusion, and it probably is, but I think it's perfect. Because that's what God wants of you. That's what God has gifted you to do. And not, not, not that we're all going to be the same and we're all doing the same things. But you have the Spirit of God in you bubbling up, pouring out living water. So that rather than us being a bubbling, broken, sprinkler head, soaking a six-inch area, when Jesus sends you out, living water should flow from His Spirit into your home. And the way that you've been changed by the Gospel... Your words are different. Your attitude is changing. The way that you're attending to the needs of your your spouse or your children. Living water is planted into your workplace. As you begin to be a person who forgives, who has compassion, who has humility. Revolutionary thought, who considers other people more important than yourself. What could that do to the work environment that you're in? You're shot out from here and planted in your neighborhood so that a fountain of living water might flow to your neighbors. Do you see the imagery? So it's not, yes, it is centralized, but when we gather, it's so that you can go out and be living water. You're the light of the earth, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Go be the light. So we delight in God, we develop each other toward maturity, and we're deployed out into God's world so that, not just to be a static presence in the world, but we're deployed out into the world so that every man, woman, and child may have repeated opportunities to hear, see, and believe in Jesus Christ where they live, work, and play. We are the missionaries. We cannot ask those who are far from God to be the missionaries. That's too often how we act. Now, I'm not saying this, this begins. The beginning of this is you saying, well, I don't know if I can do all of that. 
the thing you can do is that you can go and invite somebody to church. Let that be a cultural piece that we begin to build. Invite your neighbor to church. Invite the na- your neighbor who has children, invite them to VBS. Okay? It's a, there's, your, there's an easy step, okay? An invitation culture. But we don't just gather to gather. We gather so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so we want to see everyone in every space and every place bump up against the presence of Jesus in his people. The word of Christ on his people's lips. So if you and if I had arrows, I would do it. So you have a vertical arrow. We're delighting in God. I'm not doing YMCA. This is an arrow. Arrow upward. Uh, then we deploy to each other. So sideways, horizontally. And then you can imagine a ray. So it goes out into the world as those who are mature, growing in maturity, equipped with the spirit of God, equipped with the word of God to bring see the fountain of God flow into other people's lives. So that those people who are out there, we're not asking them to become the missionaries. Do you understand what I mean by that? This is how we operate. Hey, come to church. Um, You're not going to understand anything that's happening there. You know, people who, especially people who have moved into Elgin and they don't come from church backgrounds. They didn't grow up in the Bible belt. And so they're going to come in. They're going to see people out there accosting them with pieces of paper. I think you don't want to cost them. I'm giving you a hard time. But they're going to be handed a piece of paper and they're going to be welcomed in. And they're going to come and sit in a style of seating that they've never seen anywhere else that they go to day in and day out. Nowhere else on the planet has pews that I know of, right? Um, maybe like a, a ferry across like the James River in Virginia or something. I don't know. Um, last time I saw pews. And then they're going to be inter- introduced into this service where this madman begins talking and ranting and getting excited or getting boring or whatever else I get from day to day. We're going to sing some songs and we're going to say, hey, go home. Now, along the way, they're going to hear the message. They're going to hear the gospel. But you're asking them to make the cultural jump. And what I'm proposing is that, yes, invite people to church, but also go out so that they have multiple points of contact. So the idea is that as someone goes and they bump around Elgin, they might meet someone of, of, of Jesus's tribe they might meet, meet one of us at Food Line. They might meet one of us at the post office. They might meet one of us at O'Reilly's as we're going around. And I'm not saying that you're always, all you're doing is saying Jesus is Lord on a loop, right? You'll end up in a mental institution. But you are different. You ought to be different. You should have a savor of life about you. Or as we were talking about last night, you should have the dust of Jesus. From being his disciple, you've walked so closely with Christ that the likeness of Christ is being developed in you. And dear ones, that's something this world desperately needs and this is something this world doesn't know much about. So in the months ahead, I know that this was very, this is up here a little bit. So what am, I, what am I proposing? What am I looking at? What are we going to be doing? What are we doing the same? What might we be doing the, differently? I'm not, I don't have... Uh, I'm out of time for all of that. Um, but here, here are a few things that you could do differently. One, if you do not know Jesus, you can trust in Christ. You can begin to delight in God today. 
That's the, that's the invi- one of the greatest invitations of the gospel. Isn't just, hey, get right, get out of hell, but it is find the greatest joy you've ever known in following Jesus. Come delight in God, leave off your sin, follow Jesus. Secondly, you can invite someone to Jesus. You can invite someone to church. You could tell the story of how you became a Christian. You can invite someone. Invite someone with children to VBS. Invite yourself to church if you're not regularly going to a church. Invite someone in your family to go to church so that they're exposed to the things of God. Thirdly, and this is something we'll put a lot of emphasis on at the, toward the end of the, toward, later in the year, um, but pick one person, one person right now that you know, like not, that, not like, you know, Princess Kate or something. Um, my wife's obsessed with Princess Kate and all their children. Uh, not obsessed. She, sorry, Sarah Beth, rat you out. Um, but not somebody you don't know, but somebody you know, some family member, some neighbor, coworker that you know is far from God. But find that one person that's close to you but far from God. Write their name on an index card. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your, where, put it on your dashboard. I don't care where you put it. Pray for them. Begin to pray that God would open up their heart. Pray that God would make the, the goodness in their life overwhelming for them to ask, where did all this come from? Pray that God would give them a new heart. That they would learn of Jesus either from you or from somebody else. But then also pray, as you're praying for that person, pray for opportunities to invite them and to share with them. So there you go. Application points. Delight in Jesus. Worship Christ. Invite people to church and invite people to Jesus. Three, pray. This, is, this concludes your Vacation Bible School lesson, right? Worship God. Invite people to Him. Pray for people who don't know Him. But pray for that one person consistently. Pray expecting for the opportunity to come. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you've invited us into your story. That This is not our story. This is your story. And we thank you that you have called us to delight in you, to help develop each other in maturity, and to send us out into this world. And so, Lord, in a moment, as we spread from here, we pray that we would have the, the essence of Christ in our lives, the word of the gospel in our lips, that we would be uh, filled with your spirit, that the fountain of the Holy Spirit would bubble out of us to bless our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Uh, so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill this place, fill this earth as the waters cover the sea. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.